0: You are listening to episode 30 of Fearless Rebel Radio. Today's show is all about adrenal fatigue, something that is very close and near and dear to me because it was something that I went through. And recovered from uh, several years ago now. But on today's show, I talk with Lauren Schoenfeld all about adrenal fatigue what is it, how to recover from it, and things that you can do to prevent yourself from um, falling into the trap of perfectionism and exhaustion. Before we start today's show, I just want to remind you to head to summerinandin.com, or you can just go to summerthenutritionist.com to get my free ebook, 10 rules to break right now to break up with dieting and love your body. You'll get 10 missions that you can complete right away. You'll also get access to my free 10 day body confidence makeover, which is awesome. All right, let's get started with the show. You know where you are? You're in Fearless Rebel Radio, baby! I am your host, Summer Inanin, a certified nutritional practitioner, diet rebel, and food lover on a mission to help you feel hot damn fearless in your body. Fearless Rebel Radio is here to empower you to defy the standards and break the rules in order to radiate confidence, relish in your uniqueness, and live life fearlessly on your own terms. Every episode, I will help you to do this by sharing practical advice, not-so-PG-rated rants, and interviews with fearless rebel guests. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. I am very excited about today's guest. She is someone that I've been following for a really long time and actually never really connected with one-on-one or had a conversation with until now so i'm very excited today i have on the show laura schoenfeld did i say her name right you did. Okay, good. Laura is a registered dietitian trained in integrative nutritional therapy for the management of chronic disease. She is passionate about making traditional diets healthful and accessible for all of her clients. While she typically uses an ancestral or quote unquote paleo template when making recommendations, she also recognizes the importance of individual health goals, unique genetic variations, and personal preference in choosing a health-supporting diet and lifestyle program. Welcome to the show, Laura. Laura.
1: Thank you. I should have put about more in my uh, the word about more in my uh, my bio. I like hearing you say it. It's uh, <laughs> oh <laughs> typical Canadian joke, but uh, sorry about that. <laughs> it's funny
0: because I I don't I don't hear it in in my in my language at all, but uh, I, yeah, I, I know I say A. I do say A a lot, uh, but about is, is one that <laughs> I don't even notice. It just, that's just the way that we speak.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. didn't mean to point it out, but uh, <laughs> that's I, enjoy, okay. <laughs> I enjoy accents. <laughs> that's okay. So uh,
0: before we get started, why why don't you tell everyone a little bit more about yourself and how you got to where you are today?
1: Yeah. So I always love this question because I get asked it every time I go on a podcast. I'm like, oh gosh, where do I even start? Um, So I'll try to make it a nutshell version. Basically, I was raised by a a family, I should say my mom, that um, was always really interested in nutrition. And she got our family started on the Weston Price type of diet when I was, I think it was like 12. I, I remember her bringing home this gallon of milk that was like, yellow and like super thick cream on top and really like strong smelling. And my siblings and I were all just like gagging and totally disgusted and protesting this raw milk that she had brought home. Um, and ironically, over the years, it turns out that I actually really like raw milk and I much prefer the flavor and I don't even drink regular milk ever anymore. And I actually went to college and was like, I'm going to have real like the normal milk that everyone else is drinking. And I had like horrible lactose intolerance. So, um, so it was just really funny. I went from being completely disgusted to actually really liking raw milk. But um, <laughs> And then I think I got involved in like some CrossFit stuff at home after college and that kind of exposed me to paleo a little bit. I lived in Australia for a year and a half. So that was also, um, they seem to be more ahead of the times with like ancestral nutrition and just you know, health and fitness, that kind of thing. We were living on a beach, so you know everyone's all obsessed with health when you live on a beach. Mm-hmm. But um but I was hanging out with a lot of people that were super into the whole like ancestral health movement. And I think that was really where I first started getting exposed to um paleo and that kind of thing. And I began I, I would say in college I began feeling Um, motivated to share my knowledge with people because a lot of the roommates I lived with, a lot of the people I would go get dinner with at the cafeteria would be getting really horrible food or they'd be cooking like Easy Mac or, um, you know, microwaving American cheese on a rice cake as their dinner or something like that. And They were always so grossed out by what I was eating. So I was starting to get really like passionate about trying to teach people what real food looked like and, you know, why eating fat was okay and, you know, why eating animal products was okay. And when I was in Australia, I being that I was talking about this so much with my friends and, you know, spending a lot of time learning about it, reading books, that kind of thing, I decided I wanted to go to nutrition school. Um, so when I got home, I ended up applying and being accepted at a master's in public health and registered dietitian concurrent degree at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Um, so I pretty much killed myself in in uh, grad school for about two and a half years and then finally made it through about a year and a half ago. And um, now I've just been working in private practice and working on my blog. And I also work with Chris Kresser on some of his products. If you're Listeners are familiar with him, um, and now I'm working with a colleague on an adrenal fatigue program. So that wasn't quite a nutshell, but I tried my best.
0: <laughs> yeah, what was that like when you you went to school to be a registered dietitian? Did you mm-hmm. find that really hard, kind of coming from your ancestral health background?
1: Um, there was parts of it that were really frustrating. Uh, I would say the public health side of things was more annoying to me than the clinical side of things because the clinical and the biochemistry that actually. There was a decent amount of um, overlap, especially in the biochem, which, as we all know, the general ancestral template is based on a lot of biochemical understanding, whereas the public health stuff was all like, oh, let's go into preschools and make sure all the little three-year-olds are drinking skim milk instead of whole milk, and it was just really – I, I was more frustrated by the fact that there was so many people out there doing that kind of work that in my mind was not only pointless, but also like counterproductive. And so that was the most frustrating part. Um, but my teachers were really open to my questions and my opinions. And um, I never felt like I was getting made to completely keep quiet about what I believed. But, you know, there was there was ups and downs. Um, I really liked the my school though. So there was something nice about being at a beautiful campus with really nice teachers, that kind of thing.
0: That's great. Good for you. Uh, And so, yeah, you mentioned obviously your latest really exciting project, which is called Paleo Rehab Adrenal Fatigue, which I think is a much-needed program. And it's actually kind of funny because I know I mentioned to you, um, you know, Sarah Ramsden being like a close friend of mine and we do do some projects together. We had actually had this vision of doing like this adrenal fatigue online program, but we both kind of abandoned it to because we just ended up going in our own direction. So mm. um, we obviously saw a need for it as well. And I'm so happy that you filled this need because I think that so many of the women I work with have some level of adrenal fatigue. It's always one of the areas that I end up addressing. Mm -hmm. in some capacity. So um, I'm excited to, you know, talk about that with you today. So for people who are listening that maybe they've probably heard the word adrenal fatigue, or, uh, you know, maybe they kind of um, uh, identify themselves as having adrenal fatigue, or they think that they might have it. Can you just kind of tell everyone a little bit more about what adrenal fatigue actually is?
1: Sure. Well, I know you had told me that your audience is not super like technical science lovers like, you know, Chris Kresser's audience audiences. They want studies for everything. So, yes. um, so I'm going to do my best to make this as interesting and not boring science terms as possible. But I just want to make sure everyone uh, understands that adrenal fatigue is not actually a medically recognized health issue. And it's actually kind of a misnomer. Um, there's a lot of articles out there that'll say adrenal fatigue doesn't exist. And that's because it's the term adrenal fatigue is not really accurate. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a common term that picked up steam and now that's what everyone calls it. And that's why we went with that term because we wanted to make sure if somebody's, looking for help with adrenal fatigue that they're not, you know, Google searching HPA axis dysregulation because they're probably not thinking about that term. Yes, (laughs) But that's, that's actually what adrenal fatigue is called is HPA axis dysregulation. So HPA stands for hypothalamic pituitary adrenal. And so that is basically a connection between your hypothalamus and your pituitary gland and your adrenal gland. So essentially the hypothalamus is a part of your brain that releases hormones that, will start a cascade of other hormonal changes that eventually result in the production of cortisol. So cortisol is a hormone that I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard about. It's one of the typical stress hormones, and that's what the adrenal glands produce. So this is a normal response to stress. It's something your body was designed to do. However, in the modern world, our HPA axis is constantly being activated. Uh, We're exposed to stressors all the time, from money problems to Bad traffic to waking up to a loud alarm clock. Um, to being pressured into dieting or fitting into the size two bikini that, you know, you fit into when you were 18. Um, Mm. (laughs) So there's a lot of different stressors that we're under constantly. And this is not something that our bodies were designed to tolerate. So essentially your, your HPA axis is constantly activated to the point where it ends up starting to reduce the cortisol production to help actually prevent some damage that can be caused by excessive cortisol, um, The chronic cortisol elevation and your body starts to become cortisol resistant. So that means the cortisol that you do have starts functioning less well. Um, So essentially, there's two different major patterns. There's either that you're having too much cortisol and your levels are too high, or eventually, over time, once the HPA axis can't keep up with all the stress, your cortisol levels start to drop off and then they become too low. So you can kind of be anywhere on that spectrum, but any of the either high or low cortisol can lead to adrenal fatigue symptoms.
0: Yeah. And so the way that I kind of learned it and I had someone explain it to me and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, you know, when you're talking about the HPA, it's almost like a stool. It's like a stool with three legs. And so if one leg of that stool breaks, then the whole stool kind of falls down. So if your adrenals aren't functioning, in other words, if your adrenals aren't functioning properly, that can sort of knock out the other, the production um, and rhythms of the other hormones. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Well, and I think the stool metaphor is really good, especially when talking about women's hormones in general. So um, the hypothalamus, which is in your brain, does control a couple of different hormonal outputs. So beyond just the HPA axis, there's actually an HPG axis, which is the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. So in women, that actually controls your ovaries. Um, And then there's also a, a... HPT axis, so hypothalamic pituitary thyroid. And then there's also an ovarian adrenal thyroid axis. So I like to talk about the ovarian adrenal thyroid axis as a stool because that's really the main three hormone-producing organs that get messed up in women when their health is uh, not optimal. So um, there's a lot of different three-legged stools. So it's like, you know, pretty much a full bar worth of stools that you can have issues in. And the adrenals are definitely tightly correlated with a lot of different hormonal outputs. Yeah. Wow. That's a very delicate balance we're talking about here. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate because your body is designed to be able to balance those with no problem. But like I said, we just are living in this completely dysfunctional society that is com- like just so far removed from what our, you know, what our ancestors lived in. And so, you know, humans should not be as fragile as they are these days, but we just, like I said, we're just under so many different stressors that it's really hard for our bodies to handle everything. And then we always add on additional stressors on top of ourselves. So I know I'm a perfectionist myself, so I'm speaking about myself here, but, um, you know, it's, it, we make decisions that end up compounding the stress where we're making our lives more stressful than they need to be because we have some idea of what our lives should look like. So, you know, there's definitely people that are more prone to that people that are that type a perfectionist personality are way more prone to these issues because they end up piling on stress. That's unnecessary.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I see that so much. I mean, I think that, um, uh, obviously, because I work with so many women that uh you know they're very rigid in terms of kind of their food or uh they set very high expectations on themselves in terms of self image and and or even just kind of self esteem and then and that's why they end up kind of with poor body image and turning turning to diets and perfectionism is so often at the root of that, and it's such a huge stressor if you're constantly setting the bar and pushing yourself harder and always in this mindset of like I have to do more, I have to get mm-hmm. more done. Uh, and never really sitting back and saying like, wow, like I'm a good person. I have enough, <laughs> you know, like, and, and, um, and seeking kind of external approval. instead of just, instead of giving that to yourself and saying like, wow, like I'm, I'm actually, you know, a good person inside and out. And I have all these things to offer and I don't need kind of other people's approval to, to fuel uh, my self-worth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, that's okay. I mean, I was just going to say that a lot of times when you're trying to go after self-worth and others approval you end up actually missing some of the gifts that you can actually give to other people because you're so um i don't want to say self obsessed that makes it sound really bad but you're so um just inner focused just trying to work on yourself so much that you end up missing out on relationships or helping other people um so that's i mean that could be a whole podcast topic in itself totally <laughs> i find a lot and it's something i struggle with too so i actually i i practice going outside myself and and doing things for other people and like you know volunteering that kind of stuff because it it's really you have to practice kind of taking the the uh the laser focus off yourself and seeing, okay, what can I do to make other people's lives better, not spend all your time counting calories and running at the gym or whatever, you know, all that time we spend trying to make ourselves as perfect as possible.
0: Yes. Yes. I totally agree with you on that. That's such a, it's such a good point. And I think, you know, it comes down to kind of, you know, feeling grateful for what you have and, and giving back to, uh, to really just, you know, feel like you already have abundance in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so t- going back to adrenal fatigue, like what what are some of the signs and symptoms that, that women can look out for that, you know, to, for them to sort of maybe recognize that that's something that they are suffering with?
1: Sure. Well, so the one downside about adrenal fatigue is that the symptoms are all over the place because like we said before, your adrenal uh, glands can also affect other uh, hormones, so that can affect your thyroid. It can affect your ovaries. Um, some of the more typical symptoms are things like constant fatigue, which you know fatigue is in the word uh, of mm-hmm. adrenal fatigue. Um, so just generally low energy, maybe imbalances in energy. So you're tired in the morning and wired at night. Those are the primary symptoms that a lot of people experience. Um, but there is there's dozens of other symptoms that people might be experiencing. So mental health issues like depression and anxiety, irritability, panic attacks, that kind of thing. Um, brain fog and inability to concentrate or focus is another one. Uh, sugar cravings or craving caffeine because you can't get going in the morning, um, craving salt. So that's another really common one. Um, lack of sex drive and low libido that's related to the female hormone issues. Um, hypothyroidism symptoms are really common. So intolerance to cold, uh, cold hands and feet, hair loss, um, inability to lose weight, uh, just lots of different thyroid symptoms that actually are caused by the high cortisol as opposed to caused by the thyroid not functioning optimally. So um, so it's interesting, high cortisol actually makes your uh, your thyroid hormones less effective. So if you're having hypothyroid symptoms and you go and get your thyroid tested and everything's normal, it may actually be an adrenal issue. Um, But even things like uh, something called postural orthostatic tachycardia or hypotension. So maybe you either get a high heart rate or you start to feel dizzy or get low blood pressure when you stand up from a sitting or laying position. That's a common one. Um, Shortness of breath. So as you can see, there's like lots of different symptoms that can come from HPA axis issues. Um, We have a whole list in our, we have a free ebook, which we can share with your listeners how to get that. But um, I think it's like a list of like 30 different symptoms that can be related to adrenal fatigue. So it's kind of crazy. And another one that you're because your listeners are mostly female that they might be interested in, is um, things like severe PMS, infertility, irregular periods. Those are all potentially related to adrenal fatigue as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was – I mean, for me personally, that was a huge one. Mm -hmm. And I I find, like, sometimes this stuff really creeps up. Like, um, you don't realize that this is happening because it almost – the onset is so gradual Mm. that, um, you know, you just – it kind of just starts to get progressively worse. And so it's not like one one day you just stop being able to sleep. It's kind of just like, you know, you have one bad night of sleep and then it just kind of progresses. You feel more mm-hmm. tired and more tired. But it, you, it, it almost just becomes your new normal. So you don't recognize that that's abnormal. Um, yeah. And I think for me, like one of the things that I noticed was I felt like I almost like just lost – my spark, like the, the you know, like I used to, you know, blast music in my car and like want to dance and, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, like laughing more often and all these different things that, um, you know, I just gradually sort of went away. Mm. Uh, and I didn't even notice until I had really, you know, gone and worked with somebody and then, and, and really allowed them to recover. And it came back and I was like, oh my goodness, like I forgot that this is how I used to be and this is mm-hmm. how I'm supposed to be.
1: Yeah. And I actually, um, my, I, I don't know if I can say that I have adrenal fatigue. I mean, I feel like all of us entrepreneurs are at some level of adrenal fatigue yeah, at some seriously. point in our <laughs> career. Um, but something that I, was experiencing was, um, over, like you said, over time, it's one of those things that can take a really long time to develop, but I was having really bad PMS symptoms. Like the first day of my period, I would just feel like I couldn't even get off the couch. I would be so happy if my period came on like a week weekend. So that way I could just like sleep the whole day. Um, and then I, you know, my doctors would always be like, Oh, are you having regular periods? And I was like, yeah, I am. But I wasn't really paying attention. And then when I was working with a naturopath that I, uh, actually share an office with. I went to see her for a couple of different things and she tested my hormones. And also I was starting to track my period. I saw that I was having a period every five to six weeks. So it was like, I thought it was regular because I wasn't really paying attention, but it was actually way too long. And then I determined, or through the testing, I determined that I had low progesterone, which is another thing that happens in adrenal fatigue because um, something called the pregnenolone steel, where instead of using a precursor hormone to create progesterone, your body uses it to create cortisol. So that was the issue that I was having. And now I'm like, you know, going through treatment. I'm even on um, progesterone replacement because it was so low. So it's one of those things that, you know, you can have normal cortisol, but have messed up Hormones or weird thyroid issues, um, so there's lots of different ways it can present. And like Summer was saying, it's it can just creep in there, and it can be like, oh, I'm probably just tired because I'm working so hard, or you know, maybe I'm just feeling a little down because it's winter or something like that, and you don't realize that it's actually your HPA axis issues. Um, yeah, so it's one of those things that we like to promote prevention as much as possible. And then for people that are actually dealing with it, we like to give them the most effective ways to get out of that, uh, that hole. So, you know, diet and lifestyle changes and some supplements that can be helpful.
0: Yeah. And so other than um, stress, I mean, stress, like, you know, chronic stress. And I think when people think of chronic stress, they think of Um, you know, my job or my relationships Mm -hmm. or money, but what are some of the other kind of chronic stressors that, that would cause this, that maybe are a little, uh, things that maybe people think are normal or that they pass off as, as not being a stressor because they think they're supposed to be doing it?
1: Yeah. Well, so overtraining is one of the things that is actually well-researched for causing HPA axis imbalances. Um, And the weird thing about overtraining is that it looks different in everybody. And Mm. if you are living a lifestyle that's fairly high stress and then adding on overtraining on top of that – You might be doing the exact same training program as someone else, but for you, it turns into overtraining and for that person, they're able to handle it. So um, that's something that I see a lot in my clients where they're, you know, on this really intense exercise program, maybe they're doing CrossFit six times a week or they're training for a marathon or something like that where they have friends that are doing just as much exercise and they're like, oh, I'm not overdoing it because this is what everyone does. But maybe they're on top of that Not sleeping very well, or maybe they have a stressful job, or maybe they just went through a breakup. Um, maybe they have children that you know, having children I'm sure are very stressful. I don't have children, but I have a dog, and I feel like the amount of stress I have from him having his own needs it's like multiply that by 100, and you have your children. So, yes, (laughs) um, so it's just a bunch of things that if they start to compound. It ends up being just the grand total of how much stress your body is under as opposed to something like, you know, a death in the family or a job loss or, you know, something seriously high stress uh, like that. And ironically, it's actually those low-grade daily stressors like – sleeping an hour too little per night or, um, staying up too late and watching TV and messing up your circadian rhythms. Um, that's another good one. I feel like I could talk about that for a while, but, um, basically just getting inadequate light exposure during the day and too much at night. That's a really common one, but all of these things just tend to compound. And that actually has more of an impact on your HPA axis than things like, like I said, a death in the family or a major job loss or, um, you know, something that's more traumatic, but your body's actually more designed to deal with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that
0: the overtraining one is, is, is really um, interesting because so many people are like, well, it's my stress reliever. And so I can't Mm -hmm. give it up. So it's almost like this, this weird, uh, you know, you have this paradigm where it's like, they need to give it up because it's actually creating so much stress or not necessarily give it up, but modify it. Or but, take a break. I mean, break. it up
1: doesn't have to be permanent, of course. Exactly.
0: But it's like, you know, it it almost creates this like panic situation because they're like, well, that's my, you know, that's my pleasure. That's my stress release. And, mm-hmm. and so I think it's important to recognize that, you know, if you're feeling that way, sometimes that means that you have this unhealthy relationship with exercise mm-hmm. as, as well, which, um, you know, is, is equally as common as like having kind of an unhealthy relationship with food, which obviously can manifest in chronic stress. I think that that's another one that's generally, you know, um, overlooked is just, if you're constantly thinking about food and, and trying to kind of be perfect with food, uh, Mm -hmm. that, that can create chronic stress. Like if you're like, if, you know, if you can't go between like breakfast and lunch without thinking about like, okay, what am I going to eat? Like, should I have carbs? Like, well, I had this for breakfast, so I should have this for lunch. It's like, that's, You know, that's stress because your mind's just constantly thinking about something. And if you're Mm -hmm. feeling anxious about it or you're feeling guilty, then that can create stress too.
1: Yeah, well, then even on being on a more restrictive diet or, you know, for whatever reason, whether that's for losing weight or dealing with a health issue like autoimmune disease or something like that. Those restrictive diets, unfortunately, can easily lead to inadequate nutrition. So the three biggest issues that we see, and when I say we, I'm talking about my um, business partner, Kelsey Marksteiner, who's in RD as well. Um, the biggest issues we see in our adrenal fatigue clients' diets are that they're either too low in calories, so they're just under-eating for their needs or for the amount of activity they're doing. They're too low in one or more macronutrients. So the most common one in paleo is that they're too low in carbs. So maybe they're eating like 50 grams of carbs per day and then they're adding like glycolytic Activity on top of that, which usually is something like weight training or sprints or CrossFit, that kind of stuff that requires glucose for that type of function. Mm-hmm. Um, which that's a really that's one of the most common combinations, and then also potentially too low in micronutrients. So maybe they're just eating the same foods over and over. I know a lot of people tend to do like batch cooking, which is fine, but a lot of times they'll just be like chicken breast and broccoli and coconut oil, and that's it. And it's like you're not getting the nutrients that you need from that that diet. So those would be the most common ones. But um, like I said, I think in the paleo community, what we see the most is inadequate carbon take within, I guess, over-exercising or the wrong type of exercising for the kind of diet that they're on.
0: Yeah. And I, I, that is so, I'm glad you brought that up because I know there's so much carb fear <laughs> at <laughs> least. Um, you know, especially the women that I, that I work with, there's so much carb fear. I mean, even down to the point of like, um, hesitation to eat a sweet potato or something like a banana.
1: Yeah. Uh, I've had that too. I had a client that we had to start with half a banana because she was too yeah. concerned of eating a full banana. So it was, I mean, she's gotten really far since then, but it's, Fruit's one of those things that I still can to this day cannot understand why people are so afraid of fruit.
0: Yeah, I, I I was, I was that person too. I was totally that person. I can absolutely relate. Like a banana was like my treat that I only had on a weekend. Like it was (laughs) crazy. Um, And I, you know, but and I and I was definitely way undercarbing it uh, and under and under calorie as well. But um, how can someone know if they're not eating? enough like a you know do you have cues that you give them or do you sort of you know give people more of like okay here's here's like a quantity that you should be looking to achieve?
1: Yeah well it's really tough because we we don't like to make people count calories or anything like that. I hate I hate tracking my intake so I don't like to make other people do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But that said sometimes hunger cues are not, depending on how long the person's been under eating for, sometimes hunger cues are not actually going to help in that situation because um, it's almost like in the case of, say, anorexia, where if somebody's under eating for long enough, their body's appetite signaling starts to shut down. Yeah. So you're not going to necessarily be hungry, even if you're under eating, your body's conserving energy, it's down regulating thyroid activity, it's down regulating your metabolic rate, reducing your appetite because essentially your body's under the impression that you're in a starvation state. So it wants to do everything it can to make you survive that state. So minimizing how much energy you actually need and reducing your appetite because it wouldn't really be very functional if you were hungry all the time. Um, So we usually like to start people on a general recommended amount of calories and macronutrient ranges for their Their height and their weight, their age, their gender, um, their amount of activity that they're doing. Actually, part of our adrenal fatigue program is this calculator that we've put together. That you basically put in all your stats. So, like, like I said, your height, weight, gender, age, that kind of stuff, and then your activity level, and it puts out a range of calories that should be appropriate for you, as well as a range of the macronutrients that are the most appropriate. So, we generally recommend a moderate protein, moderate carb, I guess, I mean, it's like moderate across the board. It's like 20, 20 to 30% protein, 20 to 30% carbohydrates and 40 to 60% fat. So, um, it's not crazy high carb, but it's, it's probably a lot higher than what a lot of low carbers are doing. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And we like to make sure people are eating three meals a day. So we suggest eating regular meals and making sure that you're including each of these macronutrients in each meal, especially protein in the morning and carbs later at night. So um, like I said, our our program has an actual calculator that people can use to get like a starting point for. And then what we suggest is once you have that general starting point, then trying to get your diet into that – uh, that range. So you can use a online tracker like one of those MyFitnessPal's or something to track what you're doing and make the necessary changes. So if you input your food for the day and you see that you're 500 calories too little and you're, you know, 80 grams of carbs lower than the low end of the range, then you know, okay, tomorrow I'm going to add in some carbs. I'm going to add in some calories. That kind of thing. So once people start to get the hang of what they're supposed to be eating and they start to understand, okay. Generally, I should be having four ounces of meat, and then you know a large sweet potato and half a plate full of vegetables. And you know, once they start having that visual sense of what they're supposed to be eating, and once their body starts to get used to that amount of food, then that's when we say, okay, just don't track anymore, and just use your your hunger your hunger signaling to drive what you're eating. So hopefully that makes sense. I mean, like I said, I don't like to use tracking and I don't like to give people exact numbers to follow, but mm-hmm. in the case of someone that's been under eating for months or maybe even years, they really do need that feedback of having numbers to actually try to accomplish. Um we never have people that are dropping their calories. It's always like, here's your range. Make sure you're eating within that range because you're probably eating 800 calories too few on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a lot more than people think. I mean, well, especially as it relates to carbohydrates and uh, what that actually <laughs> looks like. Like, mm-hmm. you, I think people would be surprised at like, oh wow, you know, like this is this is what moderate carbohydrate. Looks like, yeah, uh, it's it w- crazy.
1: It's it seems so high when you've come from like a <laughs> yes. low carb paleo. When you try to go up to like one hundred fifty grams of carbs a day, which is really not that high. That's like thirty percent of a two thousand calorie diet. It's or that might even be less. I don't remember off the top of my head what that number is, but um, yeah. it's it seems like so much, especially when you're eating real food. It's like you have to eat a lot of starchy plants and fruit, and maybe some gluten free grains or. Heck, maybe some gluten-containing grains if you're not gluten-sensitive. But um, it's just uh, I think people don't even realize that what they're doing is so low. Because I'll have patients that are like – I ask them what they eat for carbohydrates and they say – oh, I have carrots and I have peppers and I have broccoli. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that does not count as yeah. carbohydrates. It's like the the few carbohydrates those non-starchy vegetables have, your body ends up burning glucose just to digest those vegetables. So when we talk about getting like 20 to 30% carbs, we're talking about digestible starches that your body can actually get glucose from. So yeah, it's it's usually a pretty big change for people when they haven't been eating like anything that's carb dense, starchy, even like sugar containing in months yeah. or years.
0: Yeah, and I find I find a lot of it is stuff that you've actually kind of craved and wanted but denied yourself of or mm-hmm. things that you've kind of, you know, overeaten or even in some cases, like, binged on as, as kind of your body's response of trying to get it into you. Yeah. Um, you know, that was something that, like, certainly impacted me. And, you know, I would go on these stretches of being super low carb and then completely rebound and eat just any, any carbohydrate that wasn't, you know, stapled to a cupboard over the course of like two days and then go mm-hmm. back to like, and then feeling guilty and then go back to really low carb again. And so ever since I just, you know, started to listen to my body, like my body was telling me it wanted carbohydrates. I just wasn't mm-hmm. letting it have it. Um, you know, when I started to eat things like oats and, you know, gluten-free grains and, and rice and just a lot more starch and fruit and things like that, I, my cravings, went away. I've had so much more energy. I felt fuller for longer. You know, I didn't have those stretches where I was, um, overeating and rebounding. And I just, and I think that it's there, you know, there is such a, a big, uh, physical implication that can affect, um, you know, some of the behaviors that you think are like willpower related or, Mm -hmm. um, you know that are are that there is certainly a huge psychological component to it as well, but there is also this big physical component that if you just start eating them because your body's telling you it wants them, I know. Um, you you end up like the number of women that I've worked with that have have either stopped binging or um, stopped kind of overeating because they've just you know allowed themselves to have them on on everyday regular basis. It just mm-hmm. it makes such a huge difference.
1: Yeah, and I must feel like. Um the patients that I work with because I'm telling them to do it, it's like, it's, it's so almost that not only do they have a freedom about it, but it's like, well, my dietitian told me that I have to eat this many carbs, so I'm going to do it because a lot of times they still have that level of fear about reintroducing carbs. But like you said, I mean, I've had so many clients that were having really crazy sugar cravings and they just felt like crap all the time because, you know, anytime they walked past a candy bowl, they were like salivating over it. Yeah. And they were blaming their, their um, I don't even know, they were blaming their willpower, they were blaming like, oh, maybe I just like I'm eating too many carbs and I need to cut them down further. That's usually the excuse and it just makes me want to like put my head through a wall. But um, And then I'll tell them it's because your body needs carbs for certain functions and maybe you're just not doing well on this low-carb diet. And once you start increasing your whole food carb consumption, it's amazing. It's like a light switch goes off. They no longer have the cravings and they feel like a normal person that can – not have a candy bar unless they want it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um so it's just it's crazy because I feel like the message that most people get from the paleo community is like you have sugar cravings cuz you eat too much sugar. And it's like, you know, for some people that is the problem, but for people that have been eating a paleo diet for a long time, that's not the problem. No. It's not that you had like, you know, a quarter of a dark chocolate Candy bar, or, you know, like just dark chocolate with like a little sugar in it. And now you've like completely kicked off some sugar cravings. It's, you know, your body has basic needs. And even though people like to say that carbohydrates aren't essential, I believe that they're conditionally essential. And I believe that certain people, when they talk about fat adaptation, I actually think that that's, um, I think that's genetically related, whether somebody can actually become fat adapted or not, whether they have the enzymes to actually use fat for fuel. And if they aren't good fat oxidizers, then they're actually going to feel really terrible on a high fat diet. So um, I think people end up feeling like, oh, I'm just not fat adapted. I just have to cut more carbs out. And it's it really frustrates me because I think that's like just completely misunderstanding what the the function of the body is. And, you know, in the paleo community, we like to say that we're evidence-based. And then when that kind of stuff happens, I'm like, how is this evidence-based? This is not evidence-based at all. So Mm -hmm. anyway, I'll get off my little soapbox, but that is something that really frustrates me. And it's something that I, not only in this program, but in my general work as a ancestral health nutritionist, that's like one of the big drums that I beat a lot is that not everyone does well on low carb. And some people actually do better on like a higher carb diet so
0: yeah I that's and that's why I really like kind of the the work your work and what you put out and your approach is because you do recognize that it's not a one size fits all and that you know, you can't, you can't heal everything through just constantly tweaking food and that there really is, you know, a level of individualization and that perfectionism is that can actually be much more detrimental uh, mm-hmm. to your health, which is something I wanted to kind of ask you about, you know, like, I think that, uh, and this is obviously especially in the paleo community but I think that in any kind of nutritional community or sense is that many people put so much focus on physical health and and trying to achieve like this perfection of physical health this constant feeling that you know they could be or should be doing something better or different mm. but it can come at the detriment of their emotional health and that's a huge stressor on the body and so you know first like, do you do you notice that in your in your practice and oh like yeah the people that you all the time
1: with? yeah and I mean it's kind of it's a little bit of a double edged sword because obviously as a dietitian I like having clients that want to improve their health um, it's nice to work with people that are motivated and you know will actually follow my instructions that kind of thing but I get a lot of people that have this thought that they should be healthier or I don't like they should either look and it's not even only about appearance like you were saying it's not just oh I want to look a certain way or I want to have this pr- particular body shape or you know whatever it even comes down to like I want to have amazing energy and you know there's got to be something I'm doing wrong that's not making me as energetic as I should and having that hyper focus on trying to make everything perfect actually ends up making things worse um or you know maybe they have an autoimmune disease and they have they've had like 90% improvement with their symptoms but they still have that like 10% where they're like well it could go away 100% maybe I should remove nightshades and remove nuts and remo-. and I'm not saying people shouldn't try that but ultimately there is a point where maybe your body is as healthy as it's going to be from a you know just objective perspective and you don't want to be completely having your whole life consumed by this this uh you know quest to become perfect to get perfect health because like you said it ends up actually turning the other direction and causing you worse health over the long run so um it's it's really hard to try to determine who is at that point where they need to like step back and stop focusing on their health versus who you know is heading towards an actual better state of health but it's one of those things that people need to just consistently check in with themselves when they're on a health journey just to say okay am I still am I still doing things that make me feel better am I having improvements from this am I actually enjoying my life more because of these improvements is this helping me do the things that I love on a more regular basis and just making sure that they're not spending their entire week reading about you know blogs on certain conditions and not socializing and not, you know, spending time with their friends and family, that kind of thing. So it's yeah. It's really hard though. Like I said, it's I work with a lot of people that are really sick and they've had, you know, some severe symptoms that they really want to see go away and there is some level of um of acceptance that has to happen before they can, you know, actually start eating and living in a way that could potentially get them to start feeling better.
0: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, sometimes it's like, um, people try to absolve themselves of any type of physical symptom. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that can really just be at an emotional uh, detriment and like a detriment to your well being. And like, it's in some cases, like in some clients, um, they almost have to kind of accept a little bit of physical discomfort in order Mm -hmm. to because the emotional satisfaction that they'll get from you know, not being so obsessive actually outweighs, you know, out, outweighs it and makes them healthier as a being. So you have to kind of look at the whole person. It gets right. tricky. I mean, it's, it's, it really it is individual for sure. In what I notice as well.
1: Yeah. And it's the hardest part is determining what level of, uh, focus is appropriate. So like we were saying, we don't want people to just like completely just give up and stop exercising and stop eating. Well, of course, that's not what we'd recommend, but we just want to get people to the point where they feel comfortable with what they're doing. They feel good about what they're doing. They're not making themselves miserable because they just are afraid of food, which that's a whole, again, and a whole nother podcast topic is food fears that are just making people sicker than they need to be. Um, And it's just, you just don't want to be doing something for your health that ends up making your life worse. So that's going to end up being a totally individual thing. I have some clients that can stick to a 100% autoimmune paleo diet no problem. They're totally happy. Not not a big deal to avoid these foods and it doesn't affect their mental health. And then I have other clients that if you told them they had to remove dairy that they would be like, you know, really really upset. So mm-hmm. it just comes to the it comes to the individual and it comes to what you know what the balance is between health pursuit and just living your life.
0: Yeah, so much of it is in their mindset too and just the you know, where, where they're at in in terms of their intentions. And I think a lot of times people get, it gets a little bit uh, convoluted because people want um, to like, quote unquote, you know, lean out, which um, is, is, is a reason why a lot of people come into the paleo community in the first place is because they're Mm -hmm. looking for kind of a a weight loss solution. And I think that, um, you know, one of the first pieces of work that I saw from you was your blog post called paleo women are fat.
1: Oh um, yeah. That was which, a popular one.
0: Yeah. Which is, I think he wrote like a couple of years ago, but it's such a good one. And, um, and I think, you know, it was basically speaking to the fact that, you know, women generally need a certain level of body fat to be healthy. And I think that adrenal fatigue is often can often be the result of when you're trying to force your body into a lower, lower body fat range than for what's healthy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And what's healthy will always depend on the person. Again, I mean, it's almost with anything that we talk about with health, it's always individually determined what is appropriate and what's not. Um and there's so many people out there. I mean, I don't – do you know who um, Maddie Moon is? I'm assuming you yeah, do. Yeah, she's a friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah. So she's she's been writing some stuff recently about how she was a bikini model or – not a bikini model, a fitness model. Um, and she was miserable doing all the work that it took to get that perfect body. And she was actually in worse health than – which it's so funny. She wrote that recent article about cellulite. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I still think her – backside looks like. I would like to have that backside. So <laughs> yeah, I don't really see any problem with it, but you you know, it's one of those things that everyone has their own standards of what's ideal and that kind of thing. Um, but it's just so funny because it's like, you, you see all these people that are super lean and the ones that are getting promoted on health websites and that kind of thing. And people just assume that those people are happy, that they're healthy, that they're doing things that should should be imitated. Um, so I really enjoy seeing that kind of, um, almost like tell all come out where somebody who went through that process and really was not doing well, doing that kind of stuff and just admitting that, you know, that kind of lifestyle is probably not appropriate for most people, if not maybe all people. Um, and just showing people that, you know, that level of perfectionism is really more of a a harm than good when it comes to people's health. Um, And then the whole paleo women is fat article. I mean, part of what I was trying to focus on towards the end of that article is the fact that women need to realize that they have more to offer to the world than their bodies. So that's something that I get really frustrated about is that so much focus on a woman's shape and appearance ends up kind of overshadowing all the other things that people are you know that their innate value comes from so maybe they are really good people and they're really friendly and they volunteer with like people that are at need or I don't I just like anything that people can contribute to the world maybe someone's a musician and they have really beautiful music that they put out it's just so much of a focus on what we what we look like and what our bodies look like I think is what's driving a lot of people into this overtraining, under eating, overstressed state where they end up whether or not they end up gaining weight because of it or not, they end up a lot sicker than where they started. So it's um it's something that I see a lot in the paleo community. Like you said, people are coming to paleo to lose weight and maybe they do or maybe they don't. And either way they're forcing their bodies into this weird uncomfortable zone where you know the body starts to react in a way that's appropriate for the body but is not what the person was looking for.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes word you said so much stuff <laughs> there um and I already know I'm like oh my goodness we've been talking for like 45 minutes and I'm just like I have so many other things we could chat about but um yeah we are getting close to kind of wrapping it up and so uh we'll probably have to have you back on again in the future because there's so much more stuff that we could chat about but yeah. I want you to make sure that you tell everyone a little bit more about your uh paleo rehab adrenal fatigue program so you know who's it for what and um What's included in it?
1: Sure. Well, so it's a five-week program, so it has five different modules where we focus on all of the information that people will need to not only identify whether or not they have adrenal fatigue, but also identify the places in their life that need work that either was what caused the adrenal fatigue or is what is exacerbating it. So um, the first module focuses on testing and We make recommendations for what kind of tests to get done, the salivary cortisol panels and also some blood tests that can help show if you're dealing with other uh, hormonal imbalances or nutrient deficiencies, that kind of thing. Um, We even provide a link where people can order their own tests. So one of the things that can be a little difficult is if you live in an area that doesn't have a naturopath or someone that you can work with to get this kind of testing done. The nice thing about adrenal testing is that you can do it yourself at home. So that's really awesome. Uh, once you get the testing done, then we talk about the diet changes that we recommend. So we generally, like I said before, recommend a moderate carb approach. Um, We have people start at a certain level, and then they can tweak up or down depending on what their needs are, what, you know, if they're exercising a lot, if they're breastfeeding, all the different things that can affect their calorie and macronutrient needs. And then we've also provided two full weeks of meal plans and a snack guide so that if people are struggling to start implementing those changes, then they can just follow the meal plan and eat exactly what we tell them to eat for two weeks. Um, module three focuses on supplements. So The interesting thing about adrenal supplements, as I'm sure you know after going through treatment, is that they actually are highly dependent on what stage of adrenal fatigue you're in. So if you have high cortisol versus low cortisol, you don't actually want to be taking – just any old adrenal supplement. If it says like adrenal health, blah, blah, blah on the label, it's not necessarily going to actually help you. So in that module, we actually explain the supplement recommendations for um, just general supplements that everyone should take along with the supplements that you should take depending on what stage you're in. So that's really important because if you're taking, say you're taking something like licorice and you have high cortisol, then that's actually going to make things worse. So you don't want to take the wrong supplements. So that's, mm-hmm. a, um, that's something where we think there can be a lot of misunderstanding if people are trying to do stuff on their own. Um, we have a supplement dispensary, so you can order all the supplements that we recommend and they're the brands that we trust. So you, we're making sure that you're getting high-quality supplements with the correct doses for your particular stage of adrenal fatigue. Module four is all about lifestyle changes, which honestly is probably one of the most important sides of the, uh, the picture here is um, what your stress levels look like, if you're doing stress management practice, if you are sleeping well, if you're doing pr- appropriate sleep hygiene. So like I was saying before, getting sunlight during the day and avoiding bright lights at night. So not looking at your phone in bed, not staying up on your computer super late and doing the things necessary. If you do need to work late, like putting orange goggles on to block the light, that kind of thing. Um, We have a big module on exercise. So like we were talking about early on the podcast, you were saying that some people might need to uh, take a break from exercise. So we talk about how to determine if that's something you need to do. The best type of exercise to do while healing from adrenal fatigue um, and also just how to get back into it if you are starting to feel better and you want to start moving again but doing it in a way that's not going to send you right back to where you were. And then we also talk about social connections. So that's something that, again, people tend to lose sight of their social connections when they're focusing far too much on their health. So social connection is a huge part of your health and you can't just ignore it for – the focus on the diet and exercise kind of thing. So we give lots of recommendations on how to make sure your social life is where it should be. And then finally, our we call it our bonus module. Module number five is all about healing your relationship with food. So this is kind of the one that we should have had summer right for us. But uh, we, we talk about orthorexia. So that's um, you know the obsessive healthy eating, quote-unquote healthy eating, or obsession with clean eating, that kind of thing. I actually – whenever somebody uses the word clean eating, I kind of cringe inside. I don't yeah, know if me that's too. something you do too. It's like <gasps> as if like eating other food is like dirty eating or something. But anyway, yeah. um, so – You know, we want to make sure people realize when their healthy eating has gone too far and is no longer healthy. And then we'll talk a little bit about mindful eating so that way people can actually enjoy the food that they're eating without restricting or binging. And then cultivating a positive positive body image. So even when you're healing from adrenal fatigue, which – a lot of people in adrenal fatigue end up gaining weight. Sometimes the actual healing itself requires some weight gain. So if we're having you eat more food and exercise less, you can imagine weight gain can be a, a side effect of that on occasion. So um, you know, just learning how to love your body even if you are gaining some weight while you're trying to heal from adrenal fatigue is really important because if you're fighting with your body image – at the same time, it's, you're just going to be spinning your wheels. So um, we made sure to focus on that because that's something that we see all too often. Um, but like I said, it's a five-week program and we are launching it on April 28th. And anyone who buys it during the launch period will get access to office hours. So Kelsey and I are going to have some live calls throughout the program where you can ask us your questions and, um, you know, get some more personal you know, not completely personal health questions answered, but something that's a little bit more specific to what you're dealing with. We ran a beta test and that was, um, the beta participants said that that was their favorite part of the program was getting to ask us questions and get to dive a little deeper into the health issues that can come up. So hopefully that gives everyone a really good sense of what the program is. I know that was kind of long-winded, but um, like I said, we, we think we've put a lot of really good information into this. We are, helping people walk step-by-step step through the process of identifying their adrenal fatigue uh, stage, changing their diet, changing their lifestyle, getting on the right supplements, and then focusing on some of the the negative mindset issues that can lead to adrenal fatigue in the first place.
0: That's awesome. And um, there's also, I think you have like a Facebook community with it too, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Sorry. Totally yeah. forgot about that. No, yes, that, I just have I that. mentioned
0: that because <laughs> I know that that's always... That's like one of the best things about, um, the programs that I run is like having that community and having that support. So,
1: yeah, so we have, it's called the paleo rehab, adrenal fatigue, Facebook group, totally, uh, unique there. (laughs) And so basically what we've been, ha- we've been testing it out with our beta group. It's been about 30 people that have been testing it. And it's really nice because, I mean, Kelsey and I are in there answering questions. But what I love to see is that people are asking each other questions and saying, does anyone else have any experience with this? Or did anyone else see the 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 video on orthorexia? And I, did you identify with that? Has anyone been able to get through that? So being able to talk to other people that, have been through the same issues and maybe have some insight or some, some feedback for people I find is really helpful. And even just knowing that you're not the only one out there dealing with these issues and having people to talk to, having a buddy to maybe go through the program with is really great. So we've tried our best to make sure that people have as much support as possible without essentially working with us one-on-one, which is, you know, the next step up. But essentially we've gotten this program to the point where this is exactly what we give to our patients that we work with. And um, we've been seeing some pretty good results even just in a short five weeks because adrenal fatigue is one of those things that does take several months to heal. So we're excited to see the benefits that our beta groups experienced already in such a short time.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm really excited about it. And I think that, um, so it's, it's much, much needed and I'm going to have a, Link to it in the show notes for this program, which you'll be able to find at summerinandin.com forward slash FRR-30. So this will be episode 30 that will be coming out. So uh, there'll be a link to the program there. And like you said, you have that free ebook as well.
1: Yeah. So that's, um. I would say if somebody's not sure they want to get the program or not, then definitely download our free ebook. It's like 27 pages of information, a lot of what we talked about today, but even more detail. Um, And that's absolutely free. All you need to do is sign up for our mailing list. So I would say start there. And then if you you decide that you do want to sign up, Uh, the launch period is specifically between April 28th and May 4th. And the program will still be available after that, but it'll either be more expensive or not have as many bonuses. We haven't decided exactly what the difference is going to be, but make sure you sign up by May 4th if you want to get the full program. Yeah. And the live calls too, right? Yes. The live calls. So that's actually, I actually think that's really important that people, if they're interested in joining, that the live calls have been so helpful to people that you know, that in itself is worth the cost of the program. So yeah, make sure exactly. you get into the group that's getting the live calls.
0: Yeah. And so as we wrap things up here, the last question I like to ask all of my guests is what is the most fearless
1: thing that you've done? Oh, fearless? Um I, I mean, that's a good question. Gosh, I was not prepared for that. <laughs> <laughs> I I I'm not a fearless person. No, I'm just kidding. Um I actually hate superlatives because it's always like I have to pick the most and I don't know what the most is because oh, I could say... Oh, it
0: doesn't have to be the most. It can be just I- <laughs> something that like, comes to your mind.
1: <laughs> okay. So the first thing that came to my mind is that I went to live in Australia for a year I just went by myself. I mean, I had a couple of friends from when I had studied abroad, but I essentially went on my own. And one thing that I did when I was in Australia was I skydived, which I used to have like a crippling fear of heights um, to the point where if I was at the mall, and there was, I don't, I mean, I don't know what kind of malls you guys have in Canada, but I'm from New Jersey and there's, like, these massive the malls. Mega, the a,
0: mega malls. Yeah, yes. <laughs> like the
1: mega malls with, like, three or four stories. And then when you go to the balcony, it's, like, a glass wall between you and, like, a drop to your death or something Yeah, whatever, we, have, but
0: we, have, we have some of those here, too. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. So, I, um... And it reminds me of that scene. I don't know if you've seen Clueless, but remember that oh, yes. have you seen the movie? Okay, just, uh, like
0: I, I I can probably recite the whole thing to
1: you. <laughs> like remember, remember that scene where they're hanging Britney Murphy off the the ledge of the Yes the, the mall balcony or whatever? Yes. So when I was in high school, whenever I would be near one of those balconies, I would like have that image in my mind. And if anyone like if I walked too close to that, I would get like jelly legs and like start to feel like I was going to pass out. And so, um, I was having problems with flying. I was having problems with like tall escalators. So I visited London with my family one time where they have like the longest escalators in the world. And I was like closing my eyes and like feeling like I was going to vomit going down those escalators. Wow. But, um, yeah. So I ended up deciding to say, screw it. I'm going to like do the most you know, scary thing I can think of. And so I went skydiving in Australia and it was actually not that bad. I mean, it was kind of scary, but I felt, I felt good about it. And then now I feel like I'm less scared of malls and escalators.
0: Wow. Yeah. No, I'm terrified of heights. So, and I skydiving is one of those things that I'm like, I don't think I would ever do it, but, uh, it's nice to hear you say that it wasn't as bad as you
1: thought. There was, I mean, There was definitely some scary moments. Honestly, the scariest part is the actual jump out of the plane, which you're attached to this guy and he just jumps for you. So, um, I mean, I would probably – I would definitely never bungee jump. That stuff scares me way too much. Yeah.
0: My but, neck is far too sensitive for that. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. I always think about, you know, the the military designed parachutes so that they would function to keep soldiers safe, whereas, like, some crazy person in New Zealand or something de- designed the bungee cords. So I feel more safe on a parachute than a bungee cord. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was – that whole year in Australia was, like, me doing – crazy things to try to be fearless so i strongly recommend going to australia if somebody's looking for a lot of opportunities to be fearless
0: oh that's awesome i wish i'd done that when i was younger Um, oh you're still you could still do it i know my husband and i talk about it all the time but (laughs) yeah we'll see we just made a huge change in our life to move here but um perhaps down the road so where can people find you
1: So people can find me at my website, which is ancestralizeme.com. And I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. And then this program that we're putting together is at mypaleorehab.com. And then I also do a Podcast with this business partner Kelsey, um, and that one's called the Ancestral RDs. So there's lots of different websites. I should mm-hmm. probably condense all of this into one, but it really <laughs> just depends on what people are looking for. So the adrenal fatigue stuff is all at myPaleoRehab.com, and Paleo Rehab's kind of a double entendre because some of our listeners or not listeners, some of our participants thought it meant using paleo to like rehab your adrenal fatigue and originally when we created it was actually like you need to get like almost the way you would talk about drug rehab you need to be rehabbed away from like the paleo mindset so yeah yeah it depends on where the person's coming from but uh we just want to make sure that people are you know not overdoing it in any direction
0: yeah no i love that i actually have a module in my rock your body program called diet rehab so it's i tell i totally understood it as soon as i saw it yeah um yeah so and i'll like again i'll have a link to that in the show notes at summer forward slash frr-30 So thank you so much for all your time and your insights. Like I said, I mean, I could just go on and on with you and talk for hours. So we should probably do this again in the future,
1: but yeah. Well, uh, and then I'd love to have you on my podcast. Maybe we can uh, jump back and forth.
0: That would be great. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. So we will, yeah, we'll, we'll schedule that when I finish this recording. But, (laughs) um, anyways, I thank you again so much. This was really, really great. And, um, I know that this the Paleo Rehab is going to be amazing.
1: Yeah, well, we're so excited. We've been working on it since October. So it's like, I don't know if it's in nine months, but it feels like a pregnancy at this point. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) We're going to birth this thing out next week on our due date.
0: Awesome. I love it. Well, rock on, Laura. Well, thank you. If you like what you've heard, please head to iTunes and leave me a review. I would be so grateful if you took two minutes to do that for me. And don't forget to head to summerinandin.com or summerthenutritionist.com to grab your free rule breakers guide to rocking your bod. Until next time, rock on.